You know, I think far too little of the privilege that it is to live in a free country. Um, and it is. As we look at the news every day, I mean, we are just hit every day in the faces with people that don't enjoy our freedom. We need to appreciate it more, don't we? Well, this weekend, as we're obviously celebrating Independence Day on the 4th of July, um, I love to take the opportunity just to talk about freedom. And the question I want us to think about this morning as we think about freedom is to ask ourselves, are we truly free? We live in a free country where we can pretty much do whatever we want, right? We see it in the, new, in the news every day. But are you living in a free country? Are you yourself truly free? And so we're going to ask ourselves this morning, who is truly free? And, and I want you to be asking yourself, are you yourself really free? You know, one of the things as I was thinking about this is some of the, some of the most gloriously free people in our world are in prison. Uh, they were individuals who thought they were free and they were living life. They thought to the fullest. I mean, they were doing whatever they wanted to do. And yet they weren't free. They were enslaved and their lives led to just all kinds of slavery and bondage until they ended up in prison in, in bonds and yet now in prison so many of them even serving life sentences I mean for the rest of their lives in bondage are now some of those, the most incredibly free people because in prison they have come into a personal relationship with Jesus and are experiencing freedom in bondage they never experienced when they had it seemed all the freedom in the world. So are you free? Are you free? This morning, uh, the, the German poet uh, Goethe, who wrote Faust, um, just a little, little culture there for you, the, um, said something really powerful, and I, I want you to get this. He said, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. You get that? None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. And, and I think that is so. I think we live in a country where there are millions of people who are hopelessly enslaved. <laughs> thinking they're free. They're like, yippee, I can do whatever I want, and I'm doing whatever I want. And they're just slaves, slaves to their desires, their passions, their pride, their self, their, to habits and addictions and substances. They're slaves. Millions of people think they're free, doing whatever they want, and they, they're slaves. Are, are you that person this morning? Thinking, I, I'm just doing whatever I want. Um, Kind of like the old song that was sung way before most of you were even thought of, um, where the uh, I think it's Frank Sinatra. Is that guy? He was you know he was before my time too. The uh, well, uh, he said. 
I'll tell you when to laugh, okay? <laughs> the, uh, he said, the phrase in the song is, I'll do it my way. And that's kind of the American way, right? <laughs> I'll do it my way. I'm free, and yet such individuals are, as Goethe said, probably the most hopelessly enslaved in individuals. So we've all had good and bad bosses, right? Um, those of you who are my employees, you nod when I say good bosses. <laughs> the, uh... <laughs> so let me give you an idea of some bosses that I'm sure we've all had. Or, um, some of us have had mean bosses, right? None of you at the Coffee Oasis. Some of you had mean bosses, and by mean bosses, it's somebody, it, it, they were probably somebody who was the kid who was picked on in the playground, you know, bullied on the playground when they were growing up, and, and now they feel like they have to do payback to everybody else, right? And so at work, they're, this guy or gal, they're just barking orders, and they're mean, and they're just, nobody wants to work for them. Right? What's, what's it like to be with a boss like that? It's like, it's horrible, it's hellish. You don't want to go to work. Um, probably maybe a little bit better boss, but we call him a temperamental boss. You don't know what you're going to show up to when you show up to work, right? If they're going to have got up on the right side of the bed and it's going to be great being at work, or their wife burned their toast as they were on their way out the door and... It's going to be a bad day, and so they're going to be grumpy and grouchy. And So what's it like having that kind of boss? It's unpredictable, right? You don't know when you show up to work if it's going to be a good day or a bad day. I think the kind of boss that a lot of us think is a good boss, but I'm saying really isn't a good boss, is we'll call wants to be your friend boss. And so what do they do? You know, they, they let you... Use your personal cell phone at work. <laughs> they, uh, that was a hint to my employees. That's bad. They, uh, um, they let you make personal copies on the, the business copy machine. You know, they let you slide. You can show up to work later. You can take an extra long lunch break or, or smoke break. Uh, and so, because they want to be your friend and they want you to like them, but, but in reality, that kind of boss isn't helping you to be the best employee you can be. They're not helping you to be what you were made to be and what you were meant to be as an employee there. This wants to be your friend boss. Um, then there's the letter of the law boss, you know, kind of the opposite of the wants to be your friend boss, who, and everything is according to the office rules. I mean, there is no grace. You show up 15 seconds late, even though your child had 105 fever, and you did everything you could to get to work. There is no grace. It's letter of the law, boss. And um, that's a hard boss to work for. I'm suggesting that the, the boss that we should all, we would all like, or like to work for, I'm just going to call them an encouraging boss, a mentor boss. Um, they exist, your boss exists to help you to be the best employee that you can be. To help you be what you were gifted to be or what you were meant to be. 
And so they're supportive and they're patient and they're, they're a mentor. Uh, they're a coach. They're helping you to be what you were meant to be at your job. So this is the point I want us to get. As we're going we're gonna to come into Romans 6 here. Um, as we're talking about freedom, and I want you to remember this. The point is that true freedom, true freedom, and I'm calling freedom being everything that you were meant to be, whether it's at your job or everything you were created to be. True freedom, becoming everything that you can be, is serving the right boss. Okay? True freedom is serving the right boss. Now, again, we're back to the question, who's your boss? Abraham Lincoln said, America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we have destroyed ourselves. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we have destroyed ourselves. Now, to to word it differently in light of what I'm talking about this morning, we could say the loss of our freedom, even while still falsely thinking we're free, will be because we're serving the wrong boss. So what boss are you serving? Who's your boss? Okay, so... Turn to Romans 6, if you would. We're going to just kind of work our way through this. As we, this is an amazing passage in the Bible on true freedom, on the true freedom that comes from serving the right boss. And I know that even some of you hearing that, it maybe makes you cringe a little bit like, I'm not serving any boss. I mean, freedom is like, I can do what I want. I want you to think about it as we go through Romans 6, that true freedom is serving the right boss because we all are serving a boss, someone or something, we're all serving a boss, but true freedom is serving the right boss. Okay, Romans 6, verse 1, we start with our first question. We're going to have two questions. The first question says, well then, I'm reading from the um, New Living Translation because I really like the wording here. Um, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace. The question is, I mean, just before in the end of chapter 5, we read about how God's grace is so wonderful that it just covers and pays for and takes care of our sin. And so Paul asked the question, well, if God's grace is that great, should we just keep sinning lots so then we can have more lots of God's grace? That's the question. So then there's a biblical truth in verses 2 through 11 where Paul answers that question and gives us some truth about it. Verse 2, he starts by, good grief, of course not. I mean, he doesn't word it quite that way, but it's like, you've got to be kidding. Um, Since we have died to sin, follow me, it says, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And so he gives the picture of baptism as as someone goes down into the water, it's like they 
It's, they're, they're illustrating that they've died with Christ. They've been buried with Christ, and then they're raised to new life with Christ. And so baptism is this beautiful picture of our identification with Christ and his death and his burial and resurrection. So what Christ did, he did for us. Verse 5, he says, Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Now I want you to get what we're talking about here. Notice verse 6 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Why? So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Why is that? Because when Christ died on the cross, not for his own sin, but for our sin, and paid for our sin, he set us free from the penalty of sin. He paid the penalty, and he set us free from the penalty, and therefore the power of sin. It's kind of like this. If, um, let's say that you're, you're a, a bully to me. Not a good idea, okay? And you've been picking on me. And you pick on me every day. And I don't like it, but there's nothing I can do about it. Just, But then I die. You can't pick on me anymore. Right? Right? I mean, you can't. I mean, you can come to my funeral, and you can open the casket, and you can make fun of me, and you can stick out your tongue at me. It would really be inappropriate. <laughs> the... Uh, But you can do that. But it doesn't matter. You have no more power over me because I'm dead. And that's what the picture is. is As Christ died for our sins and we died in him, we're dead. We're dead to that sin now because Christ paid for it and its power is broken. We are dead to sin. But even more beautiful, because some of you, you kind of have maybe a little demented thinking, and you're thinking, yeah, but, but as Dave comes to life in Christ, I can pick on him again, right? That would be sick. The, uh, but no, that's not what it says here. It says, as Christ broke the power of sin and then broke the power of death by coming to life, I am in Christ, and it's his life now in me. It's not I who live. Genesis, sorry, Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so the life that I now live, I live in dependence upon Jesus who died and rose for me, and now it's his life in me, and you don't want to pick on him. Romans 8 says, if God is for me, who can be against me? And that's the beautiful picture we see here in Romans chapter 6 of us identified with Christ. It's the power of sin is broken. And then we pick up in chapter, chapter 6, verse 8. It says, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And therefore, death has no power over us. There's no reason to be 
afraid of death because in Christ we will live again. Verse 10, so when he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus. That's the biblical truth. How do we respond? Verse 12 through 14. Do not let sin control the way you live. And that says, well, that's easy for you to say. But remember, this life response, don't let sin have power over you. Don't give in to its sinful desires. Verse 13, don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin but instead give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. And so Romans 6, that's what we have the ability to do because in Christ, he has broken the power of sin and broken the power of death. And in verse 14, broken the power of the law. Sin, verse 14, is no longer your master, no longer your boss, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Now, being an inquisitive guy, and Paul, notice he asks another question, verse 15. Um, Yeah, verse 15. He says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, and this is the way we think, right? And Paul's thinking what we think. He says, that means we can go on sinning. (laughs) We don't have to obey the law anymore. It's God's grace. No more boss. Is that what it's saying? Look at verse 16. Well, he's coming. He says, good grief. He says the same thing. Good grief. Of course not. Verse 16. Don't you realize, and this is really important because a lot of times I think we confuse the freedom of God's grace to mean that I'm good. I'm covered. I can do whatever I want and God's got me covered. That's not what grace is. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, By the grace of God I am what I am, and yet his grace toward me did not prove vain or worthless, but I I worked at serving God more than all the rest of them because of God's grace, and yet it's all God's grace. So God's grace doesn't lead to, I'm good, I can do whatever I want. On the other hand, God's grace doesn't, I mean, uh, not, um, God's grace doesn't lead to legalism. Then another set of rules. Look what it leads to, verse 16. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Whatever you choose to obey becomes your boss, becomes that which has power over you. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteousness, being in right relationship to God. Or righteous living. Verse 17, thank God 
Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from slavery to sin, sin being your boss, and you have become slaves to righteousness. You see what Paul's saying is, it's a choice. Who do you want to be your boss? Verse 19, Paul says, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using this illustration of slavery to help you understand. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, doing whatever you wanted to do, leading you into deeper sin. He's saying sinning leads to more sinning. But now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteousness, that righteousness and being in right relationship to God being your boss so that you will become holy. And holy means just to be totally set apart to God instead of being set apart to doing whatever we want to do or someone else wants us to do. And so we come to the conclusion, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You're, you're now ashamed of the things you used to do because you realize that those things you used to do that you thought you were so free to do, they just led, as it says here, to, to death, to destruction. But verse 22, now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? Slaves to God. No, it's that instead of sin being your boss, now God is your boss. See, everyone has a boss, something that has power over them. Now that you're free from the power of sin through Jesus and what he did on the cross, now you become slaves to God. God is your boss, but this is the beauty. Now you do those things that lead to holiness, meaning a life wholly set apart to God and controlled by his goodness and his beauty and his kindness and his righteousness and his life and his love. Now these things lead to holiness and as a result, life. Life. And so then Paul summarizes verse 23. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so he just simply summarizes, sin as a boss leads to death, separation from God. And all the things that we end up being ashamed of as we look back at our lives and we look at, the, we look at our lives and we say, oh, God, what did I do? Why did I waste my life? Why, why did I live that way? But the free gift of God, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross and and as we understand our identity in, in him and, and what his death and resurrection accomplished and became our death and resurrection, breaking the power of sin and, and death and the law in our lives, that leads to life. Leads to life. So the question, who's your boss? Sin? I, I think for, for many of us, sin is still our boss. Um, our sinful desires, addictions, habits? Or is it self? I'll do it my way. Are you your boss? 
uh, are things of the world, wanting to be like someone else, just wanting to, following peer pressure, the, influenced by the advertisements you see on TV. Is that what is your boss? Wanting to be like everybody else and wanting to be like the world. Is it someone? Someone that shouldn't have control over you. Someone, is it a boyfriend or a girlfriend that is wanting you to want what leads to death, separation from God and things that you'll be ashamed of? Um, is it the law? Are you, is it trying to be good or trying to measure up on your own, through your own ability, thinking that you can do it? Is, is that what your boss is? Um, or is God your boss? I read something um, this week that really challenged me is how so many of us, we put our faith in Christ because we come to believe that there is no better boss than the one who died for us and rose for us to free us, to give us life in a way that we could never imagine. There's no greater boss. And so, so a, a lot of us have, have placed our faith in that person, Jesus Christ. And yet in our daily lives, how many of us are living like we're atheists? <laughs> Not depending on him as a boss, but really depending on ourselves. Us being our bosses, or sin really being that which has power of us. Is God our boss? The freedom of grace, as it's described here, I love it. Living in right relationship with God because of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross and by rising from the dead so that none of those other things have to have power over us. So I just want to summarize a few things to make, make sure we got it. This is an amazing chapter that I won't be upset if you memorize it. Okay, Romans 6. Some conclusions. Number one, in case you didn't get it, we all have a boss. Did you get that? We all are under the power or the authority of someone or something. The question is, do you know who your boss is? Is it your pride? No one's going to tell me what to do? We know who's the boss, right? Is it your anger? Your lust? a friend, another person, a position that you want more than anything else and you'll do or give whatever you need to in order to have that position? Is it trying to perform, measure up, be someone? We all have a boss. Number two, true freedom is not the absence of being under authority, but being under the right authority. True freedom is serving the right person. Number three, Jesus died and rose for you to be your boss. Isn't that incredible? Not to be bossy, but to be the one who, as your boss, will lead you to holiness, it says here, to be everything that God created you to be, living life as you never could before. Jesus died and rose 
to be your boss. In John 8, 36, it says, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Isn't that great? In John 10, 10, it says, the, the enemy, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's, and that's, he does it through people. He does it through, through things. He does it through desires. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's the son who has come to give us life and give it to us abundantly. Number four, grace does not free us from obedience, but from legalism, keeping rules to keep rules. I've done that. And from false liberty, thinking we're free when we are really enslaved. And finally, grace living is living in grateful obedience to the one who set us free that we might be free indeed. Um, are you truly free? You know, like I said before, it's not about your outward circumstances. It's not about your current boss. It's not whether you have a mean boss or a mentoring boss. That's not what your freedom is based on. In, in Ephesians and Colossians, as it talks about bosses and employees, it says, it is the Lord Christ you serve. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter who your boss is, how horrible your environment, no matter your circumstances, how horrible your job, it's the Lord Christ you serve. If he's your boss, you can be free and free indeed. Or you can have the most amazing boss and the most supportive and, and amazing circumstances and you can be enslaved thinking you're free because your boss is what is your boss I just want to end by one little one little amazing illustration of how we can be in the most horrible difficult circumstances and be amazingly free if Jesus is our boss um, Prasad Bondi knew that his church in Tamil Nadu, India, could be attacked at any time, but he continued to serve there as its pastor. Then during an evening service on February 22nd, someone on a motorcycle threw a Molotov cocktail at the church. And within minutes, flames had consumed the walls, the roof, which were constructed of palm leaves and sheets of plastic, and about 60 believers, many of whom had formerly worshipped Hindu deities, were suddenly without a church home. Chairs, Bibles, musical instruments, and even Prasad's motorcycle were destroyed. Prasad, who shares the gospel in a country where there is a growing movement to make all Indians Hindu and therefore against the law to be a Christian, knows the cost of doing God's work. And yet he also knows that God will make all things new. And so in the midst of a horribly unfree situation, amazingly free, counting the cost, serving his boss, Jesus, and as a result, bringing freedom to many others in a country where there's tremendous bondage. Are you free? Who's your boss? Let's pray. 
Father, I thank you again just for the incredible freedom that is ours, that is available to every one of us, that, it's, that Jesus set us free to be truly free. God, I pray that you would help us to be individuals that take you at your word, that believe that in Jesus the power of sin is broken, the, power, the fear of death is broken, the, the needing to follow rules is broken because of the freedom of the grace of who we can be in Jesus. God, help us to be people that just so grateful for that freedom are eager to give our lives in service for Jesus to be truly free. Jesus' name, amen.